So the very last verse of Exodus 7 says, coming off the plague of the Nile turned into blood, and there was blood in other places as well. It says, seven days passed. If you have a King James, seven days were fulfilled, Exodus 7.25. After the Lord, the Lord's the one behind this, struck or had struck the Nile. Now, if you were curious about the plague of blood, it did last a week. And some scholars believe that you, have, you need to see the first plague as programmatic. What they mean by that is simply this may indicate that each plague lasted about this amount of time. We don't know for sure, but that's, a, that's an interesting thought that each plague lasted about a week, about a week. It would be hard to imagine it lasting much longer because the Egyptians were desperate just to find drinking water and they were looking for subterranean water. Everything else had turned literally to blood and God had made a very strong point and he had attacked one of their gods, the Nile God, the gods of the river, if you will. And there was more than one God associated with the river. Osiris was a God named Kanum and a God named, of all things, Happy or Hoppy, which will apply <laughs> to our uh, message today. And so the God of the Bible judges, if you will, the gods, small g, of Egypt and you could imagine that over these seven long days, there was probably desperate digging, probably rioting in the streets. You could imagine that if people were desperate to find the most basic essential of life, that is drinking water, we watched uh, as COVID occurred and how desperate people were to stock up on stuff. And I personally bought 750 rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do it. But, uh, <laughs> but we watched how people were dealing with the, the plague, if you will, of COVID. I remember the first time I walked into a store and they were recommending masks and about half the people in the store had masks on and I didn't have a mask so I, I had a cloth thing that I had uh, grabbed from my garage. It smelled like gasoline. Uh. <laughs> but anyway... <clears throat> But it was a very strange thing. It was almost like nobody wanted to even look at each other. And that was COVID. That wasn't drinking water is gone and everything's turned to blood. So you can imagine how bad it was in Egypt. If there were news reports, if there was a news station you know, reporting on this, it would be a very dark time. Could you imagine the fear in Egypt? Because they didn't know it was only gonna last seven days. Can you imagine how many questions, how many conversations, how many people were probably doing rituals and other things just to try to figure out if they would survive? And this, Egypt, was the greatest nation on the earth at the time. Where do you go? Who do you trust in now? And so the Lord had struck a severe blow against the Egyptians. The key word is struck there in verse 25. God struck the Nile. It was against the river gods of Egypt. They were bleeding, if you will, and the people were reeling. Three times there is a reference to striking the Nile. 7.17, verse 20 and 25. And it anticipates other things in the Exodus. Uh, Aaron's striking the water recalls, recalls Moses' earlier striking of the Egyptian. Later, Moses in Exodus 17 will strike a rock from which water will flow. He will strike that rock with that same staff. And that picture, when we get to Exodus 17, will actually be a picture of Jesus being struck for our sins 
and living waters flowing out. We'll get into more detail, but the Lord Jesus was struck for our sins and even anticipates the striking of the firstborn. The Lord struck. Chapter eight, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, probably his home or his palace, and say to him, thus says the Lord, Exodus 8, one, let my people go that they may serve me. That's the reason. They don't belong serving you. They don't belong enslaved. They are to serve me. But if you refuse, if you do not listen, if you do not obey, this is what you're to say to him, to let them go, behold, I will smite. The Hebrew word is nagap. It's the word for plague. And if you have an ESV or NIV, that's how it's rendered. I will smite or plague your whole territory with what? With frogs. Now, you guys might be amazed to know this, but that was not a recorded sound effect. I just did that. I can throw my voice. No, I'm just kidding. There's a gentleman in the back of the church. Go ahead and look back there. He's got a frog jacket on, it's lime green. His name is John the Beloved. John, stand up and do it. Stand up and do it. I'm really a prince. <laughs> and all I can say is, I told you he could do it. Sorry. Thought you guys might need a little humor today. I mean, this is kind of a fun one, isn't it? God multiplying frogs in the land of Egypt. I will smite the whole territory with frogs. You might be saying, why frogs? Well, the frog or the toad was deified in Egypt, and they had many gods and goddesses as the goddess Hecht. If you're interested, taking notes, H-E-Q-T, or it could also be rendered H-E-Q-E-T, Heket. That was the frog goddess, often depicted with the head of a frog or even the body and the head of a frog. And you say, well, what is the deal with this goddess Hecht? What was she about? Two primary things. She was supposed to be the protector of the frog population and uh, control the population. So she was uh, population control, namely of the frogs, and she did this by keeping the crocodiles alive and healthy. The crocodiles were the natural predator to the frog. And so if she could control or let the crocodile population thrive, then she could control the frog population. And so that was one thing she was known for. The second thing that she was known for is she was the goddess of, get this, the midwives. The goddess of Egyptian midwives who helped women when they were giving birth to children. Now think with me. In chapter one, what does the Pharaoh do? The Pharaoh decides that he wants to kill all the Hebrew male babies, and he, want, he asks who to do it first, the midwives. And most scholars believe that it's the Hebrew midwives, but there's a little bit of debate. It could include Egyptian midwives. We don't know for sure. And so he tells them, if a male baby is born, what did he say? Kill it. And the midwives refused the Pharaoh. They said, no, we're not gonna do that. That is an atrocity. That 
we cannot do. And they refused to do it and they made an excuse for it and God blessed them for it. And then Pharaoh said, okay, if that doesn't work, I want all my people to take Hebrew male babies and throw them where? Into the Nile. Brothers and sisters, the first two plagues are direct hits, and you could call it justice, against the Pharaoh, against Egypt, against his gods and goddesses. You could say it this way, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You do this to my people, this is what I'm going to do to you. Interesting, isn't it? God is a God of justice. This is not just kind of out of left field that God did this. And so this frog-headed goddess was worshipped. In the Egyptian pantheon, the frog goddess Heket was the spouse of the creator god Kanum. The Egyptians believed that Kanum fashioned human bodies on his potter's wheel. And then Heket, the frog goddess, breathed into them the breath of life. She was the agent of life-giving power and also the symbol of fertility. The Egyptians, as I mentioned, relied on Heket for two things, to control the frog population so they wouldn't be overrun or overhopped, if you will. And of course, as this plague is going to happen, the frog, the frog goddess, not frag, but frog goddess is going to be humiliated. She will prove powerless. By the way, happy uh, that other goddess or that other god connected to the Nile is sometimes depicted, as I understand it, with holding out a frog. So there is a direct link between the Nile god and the frog goddess. They're, they intersect, if you will. So she was supposed to assist women in childbirth. And I mentioned to you that in Egypt, which is a type or a picture of the world, the Egyptians often worshiped what they feared. And in the ancient world, without all the medical advancements that we have, and even you know, giving birth to a child today is not, it's painful, it's, it's not always obviously a very simple process. Uh, we're told in Genesis 3, verse 16, God said that the woman would have to deal with pain in childbirth that was part of the curse that was put upon the, the world as a result of the fall. And so we know that that can be an arduous, painful uh, process. But in the ancient world, if something went wrong, there wasn't the kind of medical technology to intervene in the same, same way as today. And so many women in the ancient world, in giving birth to children, we even see this in the Old Testament, died in giving birth. Sometimes the baby died as well. And I want to tell you that the Egyptians, we might wonder, well, why would, why would people seemingly so sophisticated like Egyptian people worship a frog goddess? Because they were just like us. They were people who were afraid of overwhelming things. And they knew that women died in this process. They knew that it could be a very dangerous thing. They knew that there were no guarantees. And so they had a goddess around it to try to calm their fears. And rather than calling out to the God of the Bible, the God that you know, made everything, the actual God that breathed life into everybody, they called out to this false goddess. But there's nothing new under the sun, brethren. Because there's people all over Corona and Riverside and Yorba Linda that are doing it right now. Oh, it has different expressions today. What we trust in is what we're getting at. 
what we truly believe can help us and save us, we often look to all the wrong places. This was the goddess of labor and delivery. And the Egyptians cried out to her. Haket, they worshiped the creature rather than the creator, Romans chapter one. And there's, you know, this subject is not an easy subject. I mean, I look out at a room like this and I know there's loss. We have, we have an abortion epidemic in America, but we also have miscarriages and we have SIDS and we have things that have happened where children sometimes get cancer and, and we're like, Lord, what do we do? And, and we're often afraid, let's, let's admit it, we're afraid of a lot of things. How do we find solace? And how do we make sense of stuff like this? Philip Riken, who's written an incredible uh, commentary on Exodus, says, I think of my mother-in-law, Elaine Maxwell, who lost her son the day after he was born. During her pregnancy, she was exposed to rubella. So Jack was born with a hole in his heart. It was the kind of loss that a mother never forgets, which probably explains why she, when she walked into an art show 25 years later and saw a sculpture of a perfect baby boy, she burst into tears. It brought back the memory of such grief that she had to leave the exhibition. But when she returned, she noticed that the baby was resting in two strong hands and the sculpture bore the title, In the Hands of God. And since this is where she had left her son in God's hands, the sculpture is now displayed in her home, close quote. I've mentioned this before, but there's a lot of, a lot of you new to us at Living Truth. On the front row is my mother-in-law and my mom. And there's two stories of loss right here in our own family. And my mom lost uh, twins uh, before me and my sister is here and before we came along. And uh, they were born premature and it was back in the 60s. I was born 30 years after that, just so you guys know. <laughs> just kidding. And I told you guys about a telephone call. I was, uh, I was doing a sermon. I can't even remember the exact context of it, but I, I called my mom. It was about God's sovereignty and stuff. And I said, Mom, uh, the, the baby boy that she lost was named Michael William. That's my name. So I called my mom up one day and I said, hey, mom, uh, if he would have lived, would you have had me? And there was a pause on the phone. <laughs> and I was like, ruh row. <laughs> and she said, well, Michael, if they would have survived, I'm not sure that you would have entered in this world, but God had a plan. That's my mom. My mom's a theologian. Did you know that? And then beautiful Anne here and my beautiful wife, Brenda. Anne lost Bobby many years ago now. Um, I know you guys were there. You watched it. He was six, almost six years old. Died of leukemia. Ooh. So here we are, right? This is life. And so what do we do? Well, I'll tell you what the Egyptians did. They wore frog amulets, necklaces in the shape of a frog. And there was a prohibition in Egypt that you couldn't kill a frog because the frog was sacred. Any of you been to India before? 
You'll watch cows walking the street because the cow is sacred. It has to do with the milk of the cow. And they won't do anything to the cows. And there'll be people starving, but the cow was considered sacred, so you can't deal with the cow. I had a, have a friend, and he was attending a class, and he said he had an Indian uh, professor from India. And there was an in and out close to the school, and so many of the students would go out, and they would have a double-double at lunchtime. And this Indian <laughs> professor would say, many of you went to in and out ate a double-double, and you just ate my mother. <laughs> Has to do with the mother's milk. And he goes, and even though you've eaten my mother, I forgive you. And then he would go back to his lesson. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, says about the Egyptians, something like this. You want frogs? Okay, you got them. And Spurgeon, in his great style, says, These be thy gods, O Egypt. Enjoy them. It's almost like the Israelites when they said, We're sick of the manna. We want meat. We want meat. We don't want manna anymore. God says, You want meat? I'll give you meat till it's coming out of your nostrils. And all God's people said, Ooh. <laughs> and the Nile, verse 3, will swarm with frogs which will come up and get, go into your house, Exodus 8.3, into your bedroom or bedchamber, on your bed, into the houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens, the last place you expect a frog, a hot, dry oven, and into your kneading bowls. Frogs, frogs everywhere. <laughs> The frogs, much like the plague of blood, was going to be sweeping and very inconvenient. These slimy, unsanitary, unpleasant amphibians were about to invade the land, croaking and peeping throughout all Egyptian households. We picture, says one writer, an Egyptian mother pulling out her mixing bowls and then screaming, ah, as she discovers a frog in the dough. Now, I like pizza. But I used to work at a pizza parlor, and people wanted anchovies on the pizza. And I thought, why do you want those little fishies on your pizza? It ruins everything. But how about frog legs on your pizza? <laughs> anyway, apparently that's what was happening. The frogs were everywhere. They were teeming, swarming. The same word is used in Genesis 1.20 where God says, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures that the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God multiplied the frogs. Frogs were making house calls, ringing the bell, <laughs> heading into the bedrooms. This is a very personal plague. You might remember that when Pharaoh uh, saw his Egyptian magicians replicate in some fashion through their secret arts, the plague of blood, he walked into his house. This is where we left the last uh, narrative, almost the last couple of verses. Pharaoh walked in his house like he just didn't care. Waved his hand in the air like he just didn't care. Whatever, my servants will dig up water for me. See, my magicians did the same thing. Whatever. But now, 
The frogs were everywhere. And by the way, in the ancient world, people did not sleep on elevated beds. They slept on mats on the floor. And the evidence we have is Egyptians, when they went into their houses, took their shoes off. <laughs> yeah, froggy was everywhere. You've heard about the three little bears? Well, this is a lot of frogs. It points to Pharaoh's frailty, which is part of our title, his vulnerability. He's supposed to be a god. He's the ruler of the most powerful nation of the world. And he's got frogs everywhere, sleeping in your bed, dancing on your head, even partaking of your bread. No more froggies jumping on the bed. But there they are. <laughs> What do you do now? You can't kill them. You can't call an exterminator. They're sacred. It's the God Hakat. She's everywhere pulling up the covers at night with you. You turn over and rivet, rivet, rivet. <laughs> there it is. You might start to get used to the frogs, have conversations with them. Oh, Froggy, you're the only one that really understands me. <laughs> and so the frogs will come up. If you have a New Living Translation, they will jump on you, Pharaoh, on your people, and on your servants. It would seem that the Pharaoh had become the special target for a group of frogs. They weren't too terribly concerned about his royalty. <laughs> It seems like, you know, when he did the thing, I don't care, I'm going back into my house, people will get water for me. God said, okay, well, you will care now. Frogs are not dangerous, but they're a bit of a nuisance, amen? And so, this is what's happening. It says in Psalm 105, God turned their waters into blood, verse 29, caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their king. Psalm 105, 29 and 30. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand. Now, Bible students, what we have here is an implied encounter between the, uh, Moses and Aaron and the Pharaoh. We, the, the writer, Moses, does not give us the exchange. It's to be assumed by the reader or the hearer that they said what they said to the Pharaoh and he refused. They said, let my people go. They warned the Pharaoh of a plague of frogs, and the Pharaoh said, I don't know your God, and I'm not letting them go. It's implied here. The narrative kind of shifts a little bit. So the implication is they said it, and Pharaoh said no. So Moses says to Aaron at God's instruction, verse 5, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So many people are so quick to want to uh, give us naturalistic explanations for the uh, plague of frogs. It simply doesn't work. This cannot be attributed simply to, for example, they say, well, the Nile was plagued, so all the frogs left the Nile. But the plague of the Nile killed marine life, so how would that add to the frog population? Very unlikely. By the way, God is on both sides of the miracle as well. The cleanup described in verses 13 and 14 is also by the hand of God. 
He allows many of the frogs to literally croak or die. And they're piled up in heaps, we'll see in a moment. So the timing is all God's. The multiplication of the frogs is all God. And Psalm 78, 45 says, God sent among them swarms of flies, commenting on the Exodus plagues, which devoured them, Psalm 78, 45, and frogs, which destroyed or devastated them. The Bible's commentary on the plagues is that God did it, not, natural, not naturalistic explanations. It just doesn't fly. It doesn't meet the biblical criteria. And get this, and the magicians did the same. Now, after this particular plague, they won't be able to replicate anything more, but they did the same with their secret arts. What did they do? They made more frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh, we can do it too. Watch our trick. Not a rabbit in the hat, a couple of frogs in the hat. Watch. Rivet, rivet, rivet. I don't want more frogs. I want less. What good are you guys? We can do it too, Pharaoh, watch. We need a few more frogs around Egypt, don't we? <laughs> no! I want you to get rid of the frogs. Tap Froggy on the head and poof, make them disappear. Can you do that? Uh, no, not in our repertoire. And so once again, whatever the means, whether satanic, whether sleight of hand, the secret arts added to the misery of the people. And that's all that the occult will do for you, my friend, is add to your misery. It adds problems. It doesn't take it away. If you're a Christian, a professing Christian, and you're messing with the occult, just know you may get some answers, but ultimately it's gonna lead you to a dark place. Don't do it. Trust in God. Don't go... Get your palm read or don't go messing around with seances or that kind of thing. That is forbidden for the Christian. And what it says is that we perhaps don't trust the Lord. They couldn't eradicate the problem. And Pharaoh, I'm sure after hoping his magicians could deal with it, called for Moses and Aaron. That had to be a tough call. And he said... Not to his magicians, but to Moses and Aaron. Entreat, literally intercede uh, to the Lord. Notice Bible students, verse eight, it's all caps. That's Yahweh. That's the name of God that he gave to Moses. And notice that Pharaoh says it twice. He says, entreat the Lord that he may remove the frogs from me, now it's personal, and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. There it is again. There's Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the name of God. Pharaoh knows God's name, but he doesn't know God. It's possible to know facts about God, but not know God. And Jesus said eternal life is to know him, Amen. Not just to know of him, but to know him, to walk with him. Pharaoh knew his name. Pharaoh knew the source of the plague. Pharaoh knew who could take it away, who was responsible for it. He is fully culpable now, amen? He's got knowledge. He's got understanding. He's even a man who's asking for prayer. And many a desperate person asks or a minister to pray. And they feel powerless. 
And I've been in that situation many times where I get a phone call and I go out somewhere and I don't know if this family knows the Lord, but I'm still to be an ambassador of hope, amen? I'm still to go out no matter what the condition of that life or household would be. After all, my goal is to reach people with the love of Christ, the same love that captured me. So here's a desperate Pharaoh. Pray for me. Ask God to take away. Could you imagine how much pressure, if there was email, email at the time or texting, how many emails and texts he must, he must have gotten? How many people were saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. Help us. We can't take it anymore. People are committing suicide. People are going crazy. Come up with a plan. What do you do when you've exhausted all of your resources and you're supposed to be a god? And so Pharaoh reached out. And Moses and Aaron showed up. And Moses said to Pharaoh, nine, okay, Pharaoh, the honor is yours. You tell me, when shall I entreat or pray for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? If you have an NIV, it says, I leave the honor of setting the time for me to pray for all of you to you. The honor is yours, Pharaoh. Give me the time. Pick the time when you want the frogs to go. Set the time. Somehow, the Pharaoh knew divine intervention would come through human intercession, says one writer. God honors prayer. Amen? I don't understand all the angles of it, but I know Jesus said men ought always to pray and don't lose heart. Pray. Jesus prayed. We should pray. And it's not about your posture. And it's not about the length of your prayers. And it's not that you pray in King James English. It's just that you pray. Because when you pray, heaven is enlisted. When you pray, you are crying out to your creator. You are connecting with your creator. He wants you to know him. But Pharaoh knew that he didn't follow God, so he had to get somebody else to pray for him. Sometimes I think people inside and outside the church feel like they're unqualified to pray and they gotta call a professional. We better call the pastor. This is a, this is a big one. <laughs> Frogs are everywhere. Man. Might be able to get rid of a, you know, a turtle. <laughs> Just pick it up. But a frog? Ugh. And Moses doesn't say what some of us would be tempted to say. I ain't praying for you. I'm glad the frogs, there might be a couple frogs on each of his shoulders right now. I'm glad the frogs are on you, Pharaoh. You deserve it. I hope you croak. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, some of you would be tempted, not me. <laughs> but I say to you, love your enemies, Jesus said. Pray for those who persecute you. In order that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven, for your Father causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I say to you, Luke 6, 27 and 28, who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's Jesus. That's the one that I claim to follow. And I'll tell you what, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life trying to live up to that one. Just on the 91 freeway alone. (laughs) Praying for my enemies? When do you want the frogs to go away, Pharaoh? Moses' faith and confidence in God has grown, has it not? He was afraid to even, he said, you you got the wrong man, I don't wanna go get somebody else. And now he's saying, pick the time. (laughs) Pharaoh, Pharaoh's getting bold, I mean, uh, Moses is getting bold before the Pharaoh, right? And your faith will build the more you trust God, the more you walk with God, your faith will build. You'll, You'll find more confidence Also giving the Egyptian, quoting the king, the power of timing is from a human point of view, says one writer, apologetically brilliant on God's part. If the king could say when the frogs would go away, he would personally know that the timing was not due to simple consequences of natural processes or a fiat of the gods of the Egyptians, but the sovereignty of God, the God of Israel, his, hard hardy, his heart-hardening excuses were being squeezed. God says, pick the time, and then you will know. And he says it through Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, I want you to put yourself in Pharaoh's sandals for a second. Pick the time. When do you want the frogs to go away? Let's say it's been a week of frogs everywhere, in your bed, on your head, in your kneading bowls, in your toe. And Pharaoh famously says, tomorrow, (laughs) just one more night with Froggy. (laughs) I'm getting used to his croaking and his rivets at night. Kind of putting me to sleep a little bit, you know. John Corson, who's a wonderful preacher of the word of God, longtime Calvary Chapel pastor in Applegate, Applegate Christian Fellowship, He says, the Pharaoh says, tomorrow. And Moses says, okay, it will be as you say. And this is what John Corson said. Tomorrow, just one more night with the frogs. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. It's only a day away with Froggy. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Just one more night with the frogs. And the frogs become a picture of idols in our lives or sin in our lives. You know what we do a lot? We say something like this. Man, I know that that thing needs to go out of my life. I know that that has to go, but tomorrow, I'll start my diet tomorrow. I'm going to get in shape, (laughs) but right now I'm having a cupcake (laughs) tomorrow. I'll quit. Using that drug tomorrow. I'll stop my addiction tomorrow. 
And the Bible says, now is the acceptable time. Jesus said, you don't even know if you got tomorrow. Now is the day of salvation. See what our idols do to us? How could Pharaoh say tomorrow? If I were Pharaoh, I would have said, no! You guys heard about the t-shirt that the procrastinators have made recently? It says, procrastinators unite. On the back it says, tomorrow. that you may know that there's no one like the Lord. Name the time. Okay. Maybe the Pharaoh thought, well, it's gonna take Moses some time to go wherever he has to go to pray, and I'm sure it'll take God a little bit of time to get rid of all these frogs. Let's give him a little window. <laughs> Pharaoh doesn't know who God is, does he? He doesn't know the power of God, but he's going to find out that there's no one, look at the end of verse 10, there's no one like the Lord our God. And that's part of the reason that all of this is happening, that you may know, this is said over and over again uh, in this, these sections of the plagues in Exodus. And let me just give you one verse from Isaiah. 44, six and seven, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, there is no God besides me. Isaiah 44, six and seven. And who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation. Let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Isaiah 45, five and six that men may know from the, rising of the, from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. This is the part of the big point of the Exodus. And the frogs, 11, will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They will be left, notice, only in the Nile. So not a complete uh, destruction of the frogs. And then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon the Pharaoh. He brought certainly the timing to the Lord. What do you think Moses' prayer looked like? I think it's something like this. Lord, there's no one like you. The Pharaoh has picked the time. May you be glorified as the frogs leave tomorrow. May they know that you are God. May they turn from their idolatry and trusting in these silly gods and goddesses and may they turn from the implications of what they worship. Oh, that we would pray for our country, that we would turn from trusting in all the idols that we can create with modern technology and the things that we fear and what people say on social media. There was a gentleman that called into uh, the Narrow Path radio program, Steve Gregg. I don't agree with everything that Steve says, but he is a very thoughtful student of the Bible. He's done uh, 50 years of ministry and research. And this guy calls in. He's an obvious critic of Christianity and the Bible. And he takes Steve to task on the issue of abortion. And Steve simply makes a scientific argument. He says, look, I'm paraphrasing. 
Even science, let's put the Bible aside. Science says that life begins at the moment of conception. And you have no right to take that life away. It's a life. Location is irrelevant. Size of the child is irrelevant. That is a life. And to use Greg Kokel's illustration, if you were in your mama's belly and they, a doctor came in and eradicated you from her womb, you would be dead. Not a potential you, you. And this guy said, oh, that's just a potential life. A potential life? No, a life with potential. No, it's just a potential life. And then get this. Steve tried to give him, counter him with a scientific medical argument. And the guy, all the guy could do was laugh. <laughs> Stupid Christians. <laughs> ribbit, 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 ribbit. And I was listening to this and I tell you what, I was not walking in the spirit. Because I was thinking, and Steve said, you know, he said something insightful. He said, you know, your laughter tells me something about the lack of argument that you have. See, sometimes, and Steve's a veteran of this kind of stuff, so he said, you know, when I hear people laugh like that, what it makes me believe is that you don't know what you're talking about and all you can do is laugh at something that, let's, let's face it, it's pretty serious. And the guy laughed about two or three more times in the conversation, and Steve gave him a lot of time. And I think Moses prayed something like this, oh Lord, that they may know. Could I encourage you this week that that might be your prayer? You know, our, our prayer priorities reveal something about our hearts. And if you, when you pray, <clears throat> if all you can do is go down a list of everything that you need and want, and God's glory has nothing to do with your prayers, I think we've missed the mark, amen? I think God's glory should be uppermost in my prayers, and I'm, and I'm battling with that as a human, like all of you, to try to make my personal situation less relevant and God's glory more important. And that's tough. But I think that's where Moses is getting. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses or the prayer. And the frogs died. They died out of the houses, the courts, in the fields, just not the river, as we noted earlier, they, they did survive in the Nile, which would be important for just everything that would be going on with life. So by God's mighty hand, the frogs died out. Some of them hopped back into the Nile. And I think that Pharaoh, in retrospect, probably wished he was more specific on his prayer request <laughs> because they had to pile the frogs, the dead frogs, in heaps, and the land became foul, just like the river. All these dead frogs. <laughs> and imagine the report of, on the 11 o'clock news. Well, the, the frog uh, plague has fizzled out. Many of them have croaked. <laughs> but you'll notice that there's piles all around town, and there's our goddess, Haket, she don't look so good. She's looked better. Can you imagine how long that cleanup project must have taken? Who's gonna do that? You know, when you see a dead animal in the street and you wanna call somebody, you don't wanna do it, right? There gotta be somebody employed in the city that can deal with this stuff. Can you imagine that job? Imagine how many piles of frogs they had to clean up and the whole land stunk. 
And that's what sin does in our life. Even when it goes, it fizzles, it still stinks. And the stench lingers. How could anyone worship these gods and goddesses after this? Now, you would think that after this, Pharaoh, seeing the timing and the hand of God, he, he asked for prayer, that he's going to turn from his sin now, right? He's going to repent, right? Uh-uh. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, the Hebrew word literally means a space, that he got a little breathing room. He stiffened or hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is what we do, isn't it? Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, get a minister. Send the pastor over. We've got to get some prayer. These frogs got to go away. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, I'm in the foxhole. Oh, God, there's a lot of frogs around. Oh, God, I'm tired of it. Oh, God, help me. Uh, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll let the people go. Yeah, they can serve you. I'll let them go. I promise, Moses, I'll say anything to get out of this one. Sure, I'll let them go. Sure. They can go worship you. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frogs croak. Jump back into the Nile. Yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow. And Pharaoh stiffened his heart. Just as the Lord had said. Oh, don't harden your heart, brethren. Our besetting sins, you know... We can, we can get sick of doing stuff and we turn to God, we start going to church and we get a little space, a little relief and here's what we're famous for doing. Okay, see you next emergency, God. Thank you. Got some relief. Yeah, it still stinks around here a little bit, but, but we'll get back to our, our normal life now. We'll, we'll need you when we need you. That's what Pharaoh did. See, what Pharaoh should have done in his prayer when he called for Moses and Aaron was say, um, would you pray with me, you guys? I'm so sorry for my sin. I repent, Lord. You are obviously God, and these are false gods and goddesses, and I'm so sorry for what I did with the midwives and what I did with the Hebrew baby boys, and I'm gonna turn my life over to you. But Pharaoh didn't do that, and there's more plagues to come. 